Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. Have you ever started a project by yourself maybe? You've had big ideas, big dreams, big plans, and you get about halfway through and you're like, oh, I've, I've, lost, I've lost heart for this. I, I haven't got, I, and you give up. Hands up, come on. Oh, good, it's not just me. Excellent, excellent. Well, I want to talk to you this morning about something that's really um, close to my heart right now. When I preached a couple of weeks ago, I alluded to this, that something God had shown me, a picture God had shown me at Shout, and I'm not even supposed to be preaching today. Penny's supposed to be up here, but she's doing kids today, so, um, so I, I get the privilege of being here with you, and I think God had his agenda, because um, what I'm going to preach on to you today kind of very much carries on from where I left off before. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is Nehemiah. Love the book. There's so much to learn from this guy and the story of what he did. He was an incredible visionary, an incredible leader, a credible heart for God. And um, he and Nehemiah is the story of the walls of Jerusalem being rebuilt. Now, when the walls were originally built, it took them seven years to build it. Seven years to get the walls up to a stage where the city was fortified to the point that it needed to be to be safe. And then the Babylonians came and they conquered Jerusalem and in one day they knocked over the walls and they set fire to everything else. Seven years to build it, one day to destroy it and then 90 years later from Babylon, God called Nehemiah to lead the wall rebuilding project. And Nehemiah made plans. He cast a vision to the people and he said, I've been to Jerusalem. I've seen what's there. I've seen rubble and destruction. I can see something different though. I think God wants us to rebuild these walls. I can see it. Can you see it? Will you come with me and build with me? Are you in? And the people caught the vision and they signed up to the building project. And so together they began to build. And what had taken seven years to originally build and one day to tear down was rebuilt in just eight weeks, 52 days. They knocked it out in 52 days. That's unbelievable. And these weren't just like little knee-high retaining walls or anything. These were like big suckers, like 12, 15, 20, 25 feet tall. And they were thick because they were meant to protect Jerusalem from attack. 52 days. And those walls were back up. So my question is, when I read something like that in the Bible, my question is, I've got two actually, how did they achieve that? And what can we learn from how they did it? And the answer is found in the most unlikely of chapters in Nehemiah. Do you ever get to some parts of the Bible and you start reading and you think to yourself, what is this in here for again? Um, 
This is Nehemiah's journal. It's his thoughts and feelings about the rebuild project. And he writes down what's important to him and what stands out to him. So at the beginning of Nehemiah chapter 3, we read these verses. Eliashib the high priest and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakur, son of Imri, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakos, repaired the next section. Next to him, Meshulam, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshabel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, son of Barnah, also made repairs. <laughs> now, listen... By the time you get to about verse 4 there, you're starting to lose the will to live. I know. And you're getting tongue-tied on all the names. I had to practice that so much to get that right. Excellent source of baby names, by the way, Nehemiah 3. Failing that, Fernando is a really good name. Any of the women that were at Mamma Mia on Sunday, um, Friday night will know. They jammed that Fernando name into that script and that storyline like nobody's business. It was awesome. I can hear the drums. Fernando. Right. Anyway, moving on. Okay. <clears throat> and if you kept reading, if you skimmed through Nehemiah 3, it pretty much is like that the whole way. Names and names and names and gates and names and doors and bolts and names and gates and names and doors and bolts and gates and names and doors. It just goes on and on and on. And you do think, all right, I'll just skip over chapter three, we'll go to chapter four. (laughs) It's when the narrative starts again, it all starts to get a bit more exciting. But wait, stop. Why did Nehemiah take the time to write all these names down? Why? In his journal, why? Romans 15, four says this, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Everything. So there is nothing wasted in the Bible. There is no wasted word. There is no wasted chapter. There is no wasted book. Everything was written to teach us and to give us hope. And even Nehemiah 3 has something of value to teach us because Nehemiah and his crew, they were building. And so are we, right? We're building the kingdom of God, his rule and his reign. We're building that. Nehemiah and his crew had a mission. We've got a mission. What's our mission at Equippers? Equipping people for life through faith in Jesus Christ. Nehemiah and his crew had a vision. We have a vision. We have a vision for this city to be saved. And it's it's a big, hairy, audacious vision. So were the walls. But by building together, the impossible became possible. And the church I see, because that's what this series is called, the church you see, the church I see. The church I see is a little bit like that picture I painted a few weeks ago. It's people standing together and building together and working together to achieve the vision that God has for this church and other churches in this city, that this city will be never be the same because we build together. The truth is, we build better when we build together. We build better when we build together. 
rather than, I mean, (laughs) I'd rather build with you guys than build by myself. And I'm by nature an introvert, so I quite like my own company, but when it comes to the things, no offense, when it comes to the things of of God and building his kingdom, I don't want to do it alone. I want to do it with you guys. I want to build with you. It's more fun. Some of the most fun things I've ever done in my whole life have been with people, doing stuff for God. It's been crazy, some of the stuff that God's had me involved in. And that's the way God intended it. This is the Old Testament picture. The New Testament picture is the body. Christ is the head. We are all part of the body. We've all got our part to play. So when I look at Nehemiah 3, I can see four keys to building together. You might want to write these down. They're worth it. It's good. All right. Um, Here's the first one that I see in this chapter. They worked side by side. They worked side by side. If I put these six words on the screen, God, nations, feet, bonds, love, meat. You're all, you're all knowing where I'm going with this, right? You, you, you can, that, hey, that's the national anthem. But if I just put those six words up on the screen, it doesn't really make any sense, right? God, nations, feet, bonds, love, meat. It's what's in between those words that gives it its meaning. God, of nations at thy feet. In the bonds of love we meet. And it's a bit like that in Nehemiah 3. It's not the names. It's what's in between the names. Let's have a look at verse 17. This Bible is so small, I'm, I'm going to read off the screen. <laughs> Righty-o. I, do, I, do, I, like, I like to have a Bible, but my big one I call Big Bertha, and it's too big for this lectern, so... <laughs> I just, oh, so small. Right, here we go. Nehemiah 3. I want you to notice the words I've highlighted in yellow here. Next to him, the repairs were made by the Levites under Rehim, son of Barney. Beside him, Hashabiah, ruler of half the district of Keilah, carried out repairs for his district. Next to him, the repairs were made by their fellow Levites under Binui, a son of Henadad, ruler of the other half district of Keilah. Next to him, Ezra, son of Jeshua, ruler of Mizpah, repaired another section from a point facing the ascent to the army as far as the angle of the wall. Next to him, Baruch, son of Zabai, zealously repaired another section from the angle to the entrance of the house of Eliashab, the high priest. And if you look through that chapter, all the way through, you'll see it over and over, next to him, beside him, next to him, beside him, next to him, beside him. 28 times, I count. 28 times. Another diagram is going to come up. I want you to see this. You probably can't read the words, and that's not important, but you can probably see the colors. Those are the walls, and every color is a different person or a different family that built the walls. So it's not one person. Nehemiah had the vision, but it's not one person. They worked side by side. You got the picture? In those little in-between words is the principle of connectedness and of being side by side. Why is working together so important? Because building alone is boring. And it's slow going. If I'm going to start building, I'm like, oh, jeepers. One, I'm already running out of energy. 
Thank you to Canterbury Movers for these boxes too. Great company if you want to move. Free plug. <laughs> if I'm going to start building, I might get maybe three boxes in and then I'm like, all right, I'm done for today. That's enough. Okay? We need to know that when we are building for God's kingdom, we need people beside us. We need people around us. We need to know that right beside us is someone who's building too. And sometimes we might need help. And if we're building together, we can just turn and ask for it. Hey, buddy, I need help. Can you help me lift this one? Bit heavy for me. Listen to this quote. There are two things that you can no longer say when you become a Christian. The first is, you do not need me. Everyone in the body of Christ needs everyone else. The second thing is, I do not need you. We need each other. I need you. You need me. Here's what happens, though. And I'm going to talk pretty straight right now. But I know you hear my heart on this, right? Here's what happens sometimes in church. People will isolate themselves and pull themselves away from the build site. And then they'll say from the sidelines, no one cares about me. No one, no one knows. And the reason why is because you're not connected. You have to position yourself in a place where if you are in need, if you are needing relationship, you're actually in a place where you've got people beside you. You won't even need to say anything. They'll see it. They'll go, hey, are you okay? Can I help you? But if you isolate yourself off at the side, you're easy pickings for the enemy. He'll just come and take you out. Position yourself in a place where you've got people side by side with you, working together, building the kingdom. You'll have a sense of purpose and connectedness like you have never experienced before when you're working side by side with people on God's building project. Connected e-groups, e-teams, we talk about it all the time, but I'm going to say it again. It's so important. You want to be part of this house, you call this house home, get yourself into an e-group. Start one if you haven't got one round. We'll support you, we'll help you. Get into an E-team, serve people. The very first weeks that Tico and I first came to Equippers, within the first week I think Tico was doing dishes. Second week I was on the baking roster. I think Jill Jane nabbed me pretty quick. And that's okay. We didn't come in here to be big shots. We came in here to serve. Right? The church I see builds together side by side. And my question to you today is, can you see that? Do you see that? The second thing, the second key to building together, which we do better together, is that they got stuck in. They got stuck in. Nehemiah takes note in his journal of the workers and the shirkers. The workers were these guys, the priests, the goldsmiths and perfume makers. Yeah, the hands that had probably never lifted a rock. The district, oh, it should be rulers, typo, and his daughters. His daughters were like grabbing things and, and building. Yeah. Girls, 
kingdom's for you too. It's not just the boys. The temple servants, the security guard at one of the gates, the merchants, the shopkeepers, the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, even Fernando probably. Um, Some built here. I got it in twice, girls. It's good, isn't it? Some built here, some built there, some built high, some built low, but they got stuck in. And some really got stuck in. There's one name I didn't read on the bottom of that list, the men of Jericho and Tekoa. Jericho was the city that they'd conquered. Ah, aren't they the enemies? Um, Tekoa was a nearby village. These people were not even Jewish. But they came and they built. We've got a really good friend in Belfast. We live in Belfast. We've been there for 10 years. We love the community. We've built into the community. We're still building in the community. Hey, Sam. Hey, (laughs) we'll get to you in a minute. But we've got a lady out there, a friend of ours. Her name's Linda. She runs the Belfast Community Network. We've known her for 10 years. And do you know what? She's not a Christian. She doesn't go to church. But we've built relationship with her. And as we've come to her with an idea, hey, we want to do a Christmas breakfast Christmas morning for people who don't have anywhere to go. She goes, I'll find the money. Don't you worry. When we come last year and we said to her, hey, we want to run a youth program out in, out in the um, North Hub in North, North Christchurch. And, and, and we go, and, and, you know, it's going to be a quippers. It's not, you know, we're not just doing it like a social thing. It's, it's a church thing. And she's like, oh, cool, I'll find the money. Do you know what? She's, she's not even a part of us, but she's building with us. And when you're doing God's thing God's way, what will happen is that people who aren't even, aren't even with us will start building with us, and then you're like, whoa. It's amazing. I love it. Verse 27, these men of Tekoa show up again. See, these guys, they were not even Jewish, but they come in and they build one part of the wall and they get that done. I'm going to run and get another box. <laughs> so they build this part of the wall and then they go, okay, that's, that's done. All right, where else can we build like this? So they go off and they build another part. And they start building more. Same with the priests. They did the same thing, built something, and he said, oh, okay, we've done that. Right, Next. What's the next thing I can do? Challenge to us. How often do we just do the bare minimum and no more? See, there were plenty of workers, but Nehemiah also notes down the shirkers. Look at verse 5. But the nobles wouldn't work. The message says they refused to get their hands dirty. Another translation says they refuse to bend their necks. It's like, hmm, no, I am far too noble to pick up a rock. No. If I started singing, it would be, but it's not. It's like, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't possibly lower myself to pick up a rock and place it in the wall. I can't do it. I'm too good for that. It's like, oh, are you a little bit sick in your mouth right now? Yeah. Yeah. It's like that video I played right at the beginning when they asked the Aussie, 
No surprises there. Yeah. I I hope we never get to the point in this place where any of us, myself included, are too proud to pick up a vacuum cleaner or clean a toilet or, or do something that needs to be done. I hope we never get to that point where our necks are so high up that we actually can't bend our necks down to actually get in and get stuck in. I hope we never get there. If I ever see that, don't worry, I'll be coming and having a chat. And if you see it in me, come and have a chat with me. Yeah? See, these guys, these Tokoa guys, they weren't team players, they were spectators. And there's a big difference between spectators and being on the team, right? It's going to be a slide come up. Here's the difference. Spectators buy the jersey but haven't earned it. Spectators turn up just before the game. Spectators' commitment is based on performance. My team's doing right, I'll stick around. My team is not, I'm out. Spectators, oh, this is a good one, are always experts after the event. You just have to listen to like radio sport after the someone, you know, the All Blacks lose or something and there's a million experts on there, all spectators. Spectators always sound the same, one voice. And here's the kicker, spectators never get to hold the trophy. One writer summed it up this way, church is far too much like a rugby game. 30,000 people sitting in the stands who are in desperate need of exercise. Watching 30 people on the field desperately in need of a rest. I want to say to you though, if you're new here, you are welcome to be a spectator for a while. You're welcome. You're real welcome to sit and just figure out if this is God's place for you. But if you choose to call this place home, you're a spectator or you're in the game. And I'm not saying, don't hear I'm not saying that there are not times when we all need to come off the field and have a rest and have a break and refresh and re-energize. I'm not saying like work till you drop. You know, like, oh, pack your bags. Shelly's taking us on a guilt trip this morning. <laughs> right? I'm not saying that. But for those of you who've been here a while, my question to you is like, where are you sitting? Are you up in the stands? Are you got skin in the game? Turn to your neighbour and say, we build better when we build together. <laughs> see, the church I see, the church I see gets stuck in. The church I see has skin in the game. Can you see the church I see? Can you see it? So they work side by side. They got stuck in. Here's the third key. They work smart. They worked smart. Nehemiah was no dummy. He planned out the work for maximum effectiveness. Verse 10 says this. Adjoining this, Jedidiah, son of Haramur, made repairs. I didn't practice that one. Made repairs opposite his house. And Hattush, son of Hushbaniah, made repairs next to him. Beyond them, Benjamin and Hashab made repairs in front of their house. 
And next to them, Azariah, son of Messiah, and son of Ananiah, made repairs beside his house. Here's the thing that Nehemiah did. This is what was smart. He said to them, he said, wherever your house is, that's where you're going to start building. Why would he do that? Because where your house is, you're invested. It's the difference between owning a home and renting, isn't it? When you rent a home, yeah, you'll look after it because you know that you've got an inspection every three months. But you're not doing anything to the home to build its value. You're not invested in it. So you look after it because God says do that. But when you own your own home, you're going to invest in that home to build its value and its worth. You might, you know, do some changes, put in a new this and that, make sure everything's kept neat and tidy, all that sort of stuff. I think that's just, that's just really smart, isn't it? That's smart building. You start outside your own home, and when your own home is looking like it's done, then go and build somewhere else. And then you might come back and do some more on your own home. But when you do it right in front of your own place, it's real strategic. And God is very strategic. He just doesn't bung you anywhere in this world. He has put you in a place where he wants you to be. Not accidentally, strategically where he wants you to be. It's not an accident. And I want to say to you this morning, start building where God has placed you. Start building where he has put you. Then, if you have the capacity, go and build elsewhere. Go and get some more stuff. I'm just going to start kicking them now. Just like, go and, go and build somewhere else if you have the capacity to do that. But start at home. I want to say to your parents here, your family is the first place to start building. And I want to encourage you to do that. Family is so important. If you're building at church, but your family is a mess, go and build your family. Be part of church, but build your family. Invest into them. Invest into their lives, their interests, their passions, their relationship with Jesus. Invest into them. I loved yesterday on Facebook, the Bracefield boys. I think all three of them got an award at soccer or whatever sport they were playing yesterday. And mum and dad investing in these kids and going, yeah, we know you love soccer and sport. And rejoicing when they get an award and stuff. That's awesome, guys. That's investing in your children because here's what this is about. When we're building, we're not just building for now. We're investing in the future. We're investing in the generations to come. You are investing in your children and your children's children and your children's children children. And they will look back and they go, you remember old Grandma Shelley? You remember her? I'll use myself as an example. I literally looked at Bradley and did it. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> you remember? She was faithful. She did it. She served God. And look at the generations that follow. That is awesome. You're not building for now. Build locally and you will impact globally. The church I see builds together and works smart. Can you see that church? So they work side by side. They got stuck and they work smart. And the last thing, they used what they had. They used what they had. And you see this when the wall was being rebuilt. Nehemiah didn't bring in new stones. He didn't bring in any new masonry. He brought in wood to make the gates but he didn't bring anything in. 
they just rebuilt from the rubble. They just looked at what was around them, what was lying around, and they just rebuilt with what they had. I love that. Does that not speak to our, our famed New Zealand number eight wire mentality? Is that not who we are as New Zealanders? That we don't have to have all the fancy pants stuff. We just look at what's around us and go, well, what can I do with that? The words, when you see them over and over again in the chapter, built, rebuilt, repaired, they all mean the same thing. To fortify, to stick fast, to make strong and firm. And they ended up in the end with strong walls built out of rubble. Build out a rubble. I was um, visiting a church in Fiji when I lived there, uh, over on the western side, and um, they had a drum kit. And I arrived for church on, on the Sunday morning, and their church was a, like a, a lean-to out the back of the minister's house, just poles and some corrugated iron, all open, but they had a drum kit. And being a muso, you know, because I think I might have been playing keys for them that day or something, and I went and I had a look at the drum kit. And do you know the skins on that drum kit had long ago been broken? And so what they'd done is they got some overhead transparencies. And they just like duct taped them inside the... (laughs) And they played drums with overhead transparencies for skin. Now, do you think that sounded real good? No. No. But did it stop them from glorifying God? No. They used what they had. I went back to Suva and bought them some drum skins, by the way. (laughs) Sent them back. But you know, my question is, what has God placed around you that you can start to build with? Might not look like much, rubble even, but you can start building with it. You know, God is an absolute genius at taking what looks like a useless pile of rubble and turning it into something that has worth and value, rebuilding it into something that has purpose and strength. Have you experienced God doing that in your life? I have. Taking what looks like rubble in me and rebuilding it into something that is strong and will last. The church I see uses what we have. We're resourceful. Can you see that church? Working side by side. They got stuck in. They worked smart. They used what they had. And I want to read you one verse just to finish. Nehemiah 4, chapter 6. So it's just in the next chapter. Nehemiah wrote this. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height. For the people worked with all their heart. I've purposely stopped at this point in the story. Because even though I've already told you, yes, they did finish the walls. Yes, they did rebuild them. If you want to go and read chapter four, go for it. But I purposely stopped here because there's still building to be done. We're still in progress. 
It's the halfway point that we're most tempted to like chuck it all in and give up and just go, oh, I just can't be bothered anymore. So I like the fact that at the halfway point, Nehemiah stops in his journal and he reflects and he gives this insight into how they've got as far as they've got. And it's in that last part of the verse, for the people worked with all of their heart. Do you know in Hebrew thinking, heart and mind are interchangeable? They don't see it as two separate things, it's all one. And it has all of these things wrapped up and I'm gonna read you a list. This is what it means, the Hebrew is so rich. It means character, it means disposition, it means inclination, it means loyalty, it means concern, it means determination, courage, morale, intention, purpose, attention. All of those things. And it's like the people went, yeah, we're building, we're focused and determined as we work as one people and we'll just keep stacking rocks, one on one, stacking rocks until it's half its height. Their hearts and their minds were in it. They had faith, they had unity, they had energy, they had a clear objective. Have you ever heard these words though? Oh, my heart just wasn't in it. Or I really, I'd set my heart on this happening or that happening. I want you to understand a couple of things about your heart. Who's responsible for your heart? Yeah, you are. You can choose what you set your heart on. Pharaoh, but the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. His mind was set and he did not let the people go. Ruth and Naomi. When Naomi saw that Ruth had her heart set on going with her, she gave in. Solomon completed the temple of God in his own palace, all the projects he had set his heart on doing. One of the Ten Commandments in the original Hebrew is literally, don't set your heart on anything that isn't yours. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Psalm 119 verse 12, my heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. It's your heart. You can set it any way you choose. But take charge of your heart. Don't give it out willy-nilly. Oh, my heart was broken. Well, who did you give it to? And this is one thing I've learned in my own journey with my own heart when it comes to things like this is it's reset, setting your heart's not a one-off thing. It's not like that 30 seconds, you know, spray and walk away, okay? Or set it and forget it, you know? It's not like that. When it comes to our heart, we have to set it and then check it and then maybe reset it and then a little bit check it again and then reset it and check it and set it and reset it and check it again. It's an ongoing thing. It never stops, it never finishes, it never ends. And if we don't set our heart in the right direction, then our heart just goes to its default position, which is discouragement, despair, and dysfunction. I have one simple challenge for you all this morning. Would you stand?
with me? One simple challenge, and then we're done. If you'd like to, you might want to put a hand in the air. We're going to do a bit of a heart check. I just want to give some time and ask you this. Where's your heart at this morning? Ask the Holy Spirit to show you right now. Where's your heart at? What's your heart set on? Is your heart in the build? Or do you need to choose today to have a reset? Go, God, now my heart hasn't been in it, but I want to I wanna turn myself your way. I want to turn my heart your way. I want to set my heart on what you want, God. It's like the beginning of that song, my eyes above what it looks like. I want what you want. I want kingdom come. Nehemiah said it, the people worked with all their heart. I've said it so many times this morning, we build together, we build better when we build together. And here's the thing. We, if I speak for Tika and myself, we want to build with you. Our hearts are set on this mission, on this vision. We want to build with you. This build is not about buildings and it's not about programs and it's not about equipment. It's about you. It's about community. It's about connection. It's about honouring and valuing each other as we build. That's the church I see. What is the most important thing in the world? He tangata, he tangata, he tangata. It is the people. It is the people. It is the people. The church I see is the church with you in it. You know, the blessed life we did it this week in e-group reminded me of something that I'd forgotten. When we are asked to store up treasure in heaven instead of storing up treasure on earth, the treasure in heaven is people, is the people whose lives we affect because we're in the game and we're building. It's the people. It's the people who are here. It's the people who are not here yet. It's the people. He tangata, he tangata, he tangata. It is the people. It's us. It's you. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.